to, to stand up here and be able to look out and see your reactions to what the Word of God is doing in your lives. So I hope that that happens this morning uh, as we go through the Word. And so, uh, like Tom said, I, I, I don't preach a ton, but every once in a while, he, he, Tom gives me the opportunity to be up here. And uh, my mission this year, whenever I get an opportunity to speak, is to, to keep neighboring as a part of what we talk about. So last October, if you weren't here, we went through a sermon series called Like a Good Neighbor. And Tom preached about how we can become better neighbors in our communities, in, in, our, in our neighborhoods. Neighborhoods, that makes a lot of sense. Better neighbors in our neighborhoods. Uh, there you go, for all it's worth. And so uh, that was based on Mark 12. And, and so my mission has been to kind of keep that in front of us as a community, what it means to neighbor. How do we neighbor better? And so the last time I spoke, I, I spoke about in uh, Matthew, or Mark 12, it says... Uh, towards the end of, of what Jesus says, that he looked at the Pharisee, the Pharisee that asked him the question, what is the greatest commandment? And the Pharisee agrees with Jesus when he says, to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The, the Pharisee actually says, I agree with you, Jesus, that these two things are the greatest commandments uh, that we have. And Jesus responded to that Pharisee by saying, you are close to the kingdom of heaven. And I think that is probably the most disappointing and tragic words in the Bible. Can you imagine getting to heaven, Jesus looking at you and saying, you were close to the kingdom of heaven. You were close. Yeah, and I, so I feel like uh, that's just such an important part for us. We can get close to neighboring, but we really need to start neighboring. So we can't just get close to the kingdom of heaven. And so after that sermon, I, I literally was inundated with comments and questions and concerns about another part of Mark 12. And the part that I refer to is to love ourselves. The last part of the loving our neighbors is to love ourselves, like ourselves. And so these, these two comments that inundated me with concern for our well-being was, how do we love ourselves? If that's how we're supposed to love our neighbor, what does this look like? What does it mean? How does it mean to love ourselves and make that then an extension to loving our neighbors? And I couldn't get out of my mind. These two comments, I couldn't stop thinking about them. I couldn't stop until I, knew, I had an answer for, for it. And so here we are uh, this Sunday. And so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how do we love ourselves enough and well enough in, in a biblical way that it then transfers to loving our neighbors. And so uh, that's, that's what it's going to be about. And so this morning, I want to talk about our comment section. And everybody has a comment section, uh, but, and we'll get more into this, but I, I really feel like the answer to how do we love ourselves, this is like the end, so don't get up and leave. I might get a little angry if you do that. But the end is, what are we listening to? Is, it dictates how we love ourselves. What are we listening to? So that, that, that's where we're going to go. We're going to answer that question. What are you listening to in your life? Now, I would say that in our culture today, we have a lot of what looks like love for ourselves. Has anybody been on Facebook lately or Instagram or Twitter or any social media account uh, that you have and seen what everybody's posting out there? It really looks like our culture loves itself. 
all the pictures and the posts and the comments and everything that we do on social media tries to help us make us look better and the wonderful things we can do and the wonderful things that we have happen around us every day. And, and I, think, I think when we really look at it, it looks like our culture, at least here in America, we look like we love ourselves, right? We look like we enjoy who we are because of what we're posting on our social media. I would say even for us, like, we, I think we look like we love ourselves. Like, what do you do with the money that you have? What do you do with the house that you own? I think th- these questions can be asked, and we can say, yeah, we love our family, spend time together, we love our community, we spend time at home, or what have you. And I think the, the crux of this is, I think it's a version of love. We think we love ourselves as the Bible's calling us to love ourselves. But when we look deeper into our culture, when we start to pull back the curtains and look deeper at what's going on, I think there's some disturbing and and very tragic realities that are happening in our culture. See, for all that's being posted online and for all that's being posted on social media, the suicide rate in America the past two decades has increased by 36%. It is now one of the top 10 killers in America. So suicide is a top 10 killer in America today. Today, I think that's a tragic reality. And it shows that we don't love ourselves. We don't, we don't care about ourselves. And, and the weird thing is, and I thought this was interesting from research, this is from 2016, that actually the Midwest has had some of the highest increases in suicide rates in the country. So we're living in an area of the, in the United States that has seen a more precipitous rise in, in these, these rates than other parts of the United States. And I think that is sobering. And I want, I want to stop right here as I'm talking about this and say if you're struggling with, with depression or with suicide, please get help. Please get help. We don't want anybody. We love you. We want you here. We want you to find help. And so if you're struggling with, with something like this, please say something to somebody, even today. We have people in our congregation that are professionals that would, would love to meet with you and talk, you, talk through these things with you because if you don't get help, it's a dangerous place when you feel these, these negative feelings. And so I don't want to talk about suicide or depression and say just gloss over the fact that we stress, people in this room struggle with that. Right? We don't want to pretend that it's not here. It's here. And so if you're one of those people that is struggling with, with these thoughts, please, please get help. Um, I think God's relationship, plan for relationship and for those around us is, is super wonderful and, and is amazing. We get to have... The church community, what we offer here is so amazing. What God wants to do in our lives together is so amazing. And so I feel like... You're in the right place if you're struggling with that. But don't struggle alone. Let it be known. So how do we, in light of these these ideas that we look like we love ourselves as a culture, but we probably don't because of what we see in the rise in depression, the rise of uh, suicide, how do we start to really love ourselves the way God desired us to? I think there's an an intention here that God has for us to, to learn and to grow and to say we're listening to something. Something's affecting us and, and knowing that. 
in my life, and I, I have a personal story with this. I worked at a church before here, uh, Hermantown Community Church, and it was a great experience, and it got me a lot of experience, and I got my licensure, uh, license and the credentials with, with the Assemblies of God while I was there. But the year before I uh, decided to step down from ministry at Hermantown and, and move on uh, to something else, I struggled in my, in my heart. See, what happened was is doing ministry can be really hard, especially when things start to fail or people start to leave. Even if it's for really good reasons, we, we start to feel and experience uh, loss in, in a lot of ways. And so as I was doing ministry, the small group that I was leading was shrinking. The ministries that I was leading were struggling and I felt like everything around me was kind of coming apart. Like everything I did didn't, didn't work out or wasn't, wasn't going well. And what happened was is I started to listen to voices and listen to things in my head. Yes, I hear voices in my head. I just said that aloud. I hear voices in my head. You do as well. Don't look at me. Don't look up here like me. Like I don't know what he's talking about. You have voices in your head too that you listen to. I started listening to, to the negativity and the self-deprecation that was a part of, of my psyche when it came to the failures that I was incurring in my life. And so what happened was, is I started listening, and I started going down a path. Every meeting that my lead pastor would take, I thought was about me. Every back conversation that any staff member had was about me. Anything that, the, the, any problem with the small group that was happening was, was my fault, was my problem. I struggled to, to find the positive in what I was doing. And it, even though I had positive voices around me saying, Matt, you're, you're good at this, this is not your fault, failure is a part of what we experience as humans, I was convinced in myself that it was me. That the problem, the, the common denominator of all the problems I was seeing was universally myself. And it was a very dark time. I considered getting out of ministry, maybe that I was unfit or unqualified to do what I was doing. And a friend of mine said, you need to read a book. And it's a book called Crash the Chatterbox. It's by Stephen Furtick. And I read this book, and I started realizing in myself that I needed to change, that I was listening to things, that there was a comment section in my life that I was paying attention to that didn't line up with scripture, that didn't line up with the, what God had, and I needed to change. And so before we go down that rabbit hole too far, I want to go back for a second and look at Mark 12. So if you have your Bibles, or your phones, that's a great way to look this up as well. So take out your phone and pull up the Bible app. Uh, it's free if you want to download it. It's free. And let's, let's look at Mark 12 for a second, and then we'll turn over to Isaiah 55. Uh, and so I'll turn there with you. So we're going to start, start Mark 12, 32. And uh, we'll start there, and then we'll go to Isaiah 55 together. So Mark 12, 32. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated... Excuse me, back further. Excuse me, starting at 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. 
and recognized that he had an answer for the, answered them well, asked them, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. So that's Mark 12, uh, 28. So let's turn over to Isaiah 55 real quick, and then we'll explore this more. So Isaiah 55, starting with verse 1. I'll let you get there real quick. It says this, Ho! What a great way to start a verse. Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in, the abund in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. And that's what we're going to look at today. These two sections and how they interact and how we can love ourselves and how that can translate to loving our neighbors. So let's pray. Let's dive in. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to do this experience together. Lord, as we look at how to love ourselves and to, to do this in a way that lines up with your scripture, I ask that you would reveal your truth to us this morning. Lord, give me the words to say. Holy Spirit, be with us. And yeah, help us to enjoy the experience together in your name. Amen. So the first thing I think we have to do when we start talking about this idea of loving ourselves is actually cleaning up the word love in and of itself. And see, the, the Bible is not written in English. It's translated to English. It's actually written in Greek. And so we have to translate words back and forth to figure out what it says. And so when we look at the scripture, sometimes when we read a word like love, there's actually some more detail behind the scenes of what really is meant when we see words. And, and so when we look at love, there's actually four words that kind of are in the background of that word love that is, are being translated. And I think knowing these really starts to help us clear up some of the muddiness of the word love. See, in our culture, we can say we love pizza and we love our dad, but only one person would be disappointed if those, that meant the same thing, right? If love meant the same thing and I love pizza and I love my dad, your dad might be a little disappointed that it means the same thing. And I think we understand this in context for ourselves as, as Christians. We see love, or in, just in our culture, we understand that love is different, that loving our dad is different than loving pizza. But when it comes to our English language, there is no difference. The word love means the same thing. And so in the Bible, we see four words. And so I'm going to go through them really quickly, uh, just to, to help us give us some context. So the first one that I want to do is storge. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Sounds Russian to me, but it's Greek. And that, this love is a love of family. The next one is phleo. We may be uh, a, 
know this one because of Philadelphia. This is a brotherly love, and it describes a love between brothers and friendship. The next one is eros, and this is a sexual love. And then the last one is agape, and this is, it roughly translates from one's heart. The first three that I mentioned, storge, phileo, and eros, are all dictated by emotion. See, you can't have healthy eros without emotion. You need the emotion to be a part of what you experience. Same thing with storge. You need emotional, there's an emotional side of this that brings this love out in our families. The same thing with flail. We have, brotherly love is dictated by our emotions, what we feel towards something and someone. Agape is different. And the interesting thing about agape in the Greek is you don't find the agape in ancient texts very much, except for the Bible. You find this word here, but not in other places in ancient Greek literature. And I think that's very interesting because it shows that God is calling us to a different kind of love than most of the world thinks about. So Mark 12, love your neighbor as yourself. Which love do you think it is? Give yourself a second, think about it. I need to like... Alright, you've made your decision. Agape. This love that we're talking about is agape. It is a chosen love. And I think this is really important because when, we're dicta- when the emotion dictates our love for something, that emotion can fade. It can change. It can be different. It can go from one place to the next. It can transfer from one person to another person. Phileo doesn't mean you're always going to like this brother or this, this friend, it means you could like another friend and not like that person that you filleted before. And so it is a chosen love. And as Christians, God is asking us to choose him, choose to love him, so love your Lord, your God, that's the same agape love. We choose to love God and choose to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think we can ask ourselves, which one's more important? Which commandment is more important? Is love, your, love God more important or love your neighbor more important? And I think if we posted that question to Jesus, which, which love, which part of the commandments are more important? Which one of these two is more important? I think Jesus' answer to both would be yes. Both of these are important. They are the same piece or the same coin, just different sides. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor without loving God. There's a unity in this, as we see. And so our faith is shown by how we love God and how we love our neighbor. Our desire to, to agape God is shown by how we choose to agape our neighbor. And I think we, we should be happy that it's a chosen thing that we can choose to love God and we can choose to love our neighbor because otherwise we would be all over the place as Christians, right? We'd, we'd have all kinds of different emotional responses to our neighbors or how we want to treat them or what we want to do to, to love God and God's calling us to say, I love, I want you to choose to love me. 
And agape is the other side. God has chosen to love us. So he, when we look and see when God says, I love you, he's saying, I agape you. And I think we should be happy that God has chosen to choose to love us as well, because if he was, well, if he was controlled by his eros or his phileo or his storge, we wouldn't be here. Just period. We wouldn't be here. Because he has chosen to love us. He has chosen to love us through what we've gone through, the decisions that we've made, or the things that we've done. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because he has chosen us. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's so great. And we should be excited about that because it, it brings us an opportunity to be in relationship with God in, I think, a really awesome way. And so the takeaway, agape is not kindled by merit or worth of an object, but it is, originates from its God-given nature. So our neighbors, how do we agape our neighbors? Well, it starts with understanding their God-given nature. How do we love ourselves? Well, we have to start with understanding that the, that love, when we, when we really look at it, how do we love ourselves? Agape means that we need to start by accepting our God-given nature. But I think agape, and how we, if we can be healthy in that, is really dictated by the voices that we're listening to, to the comment section that we allow to have sway in our lives. The fact that we can listen to other people and hear them and they speak, can speak things that aren't true about our, our nature, God-given nature, is important to realize. So, what comment section are you listening to? What things are you taking in that are speaking to you? And again, don't roll your eyes because you're listening to something. Something is telling you how to dress or what to do or how to look or where to live or what decisions to make in your life. <clears throat> and they're powerful. They're super powerful in our, in our society. I have to make a confession. I watch YouTube kind of a lot. <laughs> it's okay. It's only an addiction. <laughs> and... On, on YouTube, there's these people that are called YouTubers. And all that means is that they make, they consistently make videos to be uploaded onto YouTube. So YouTubers are people who upload videos to YouTube, just in case you're not aware of the lingo. Now you know, you can impress your, your grandkids with your knowledge of YouTubers. Um, and I follow, I've followed a few YouTubers for many years. Uh, I've I followed some YouTubers for five years or more years, uh, watching their videos religiously uh, every time they upload. And I love it because it's like a window in other people's lives and the creativity that's out there is amazing. Uh, but one thing that I have noticed with watching some YouTubers over many years is that they all seem to kind of get hung up on the same thing. And I've been floored by this, especially as I've been thinking about it. They all get hung up on their comment section. It's amazing to me. They, they may be making great videos and doing some really interesting things with creativity, but then a few weeks later, in, they'll be talking about 
their depression or their hurts over their comment section. And I go, what is going on here? You guys are doing great. You're doing something great. And now you're talking to me about some person that doesn't have a life, that just wants to make you angry or say stupid things on the internet because they think it's okay. But these YouTube personalities that I've seen, they get more hurt, more angry, and even quit YouTube completely over their comment section. And I think that shows us a power, it shows me anyway, it shows me that what we're listening to, the comment section that we're allowing to speak into our lives has huge impact upon what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our futures, what we believe about even our God-given nature. We're listening to something, someone, in some way. Is it a parent, a friend, a pastor, movie star, boss, coworker? What voices are you listening to? And believe me, I, I really do believe we're listening. I want to, I, I, we have to believe this. If, if we're going to start loving ourselves the way God asks us and calls us to love ourselves, we have to admit that we listen to something. You can't just sit there and say, well, God's the only input that I have on my life and no, nothing else matters. I think we're lying to ourselves when we say that that is really what, where we are at. We are listening. And I'll give you proof. Genesis 1, creation story, beginning of the world, says this, and God said, let there be light. And the universe responded with light. God said, let there be expanses between the waters, land. And the earth responded with expanses. God said, let there be creatures of the air, in, of the field, and in the, in the oceans, and in the waters. And the earth responded with life. So the universe listens to God and what he says. If the universe is listening to God, we're listening to God, you may not even realize it. The cross is calling to all humanity. Through time, through space, every generation, every person must respond to the, to the cross. Whether to accept the love and, and mercy that it represents or to reject it. But every person must respond to the call of the cross. So we're listening. We're listening. Here's the thing. I think we're listening to our social media accounts. We're listening to the news, 24-hour news cycle. We're listening to the ESPN, 24-hour sports radio and talk shows. We're listening to a lot of things and inputs in our lives. The thing about social media and our culture is that it's, it's, it's designed to keep your attention. The longer Facebook can have you scrolling through its feed, the more likely it is that you'll see an advertisement, the more likely it is that they'll get revenue from you. And so it's designed to keep your attention. Instagram is designed to keep your attention. Twitter is designed to keep your attention, to draw you in and to get you to listen to what it has to say about the world. Check this out. I bet, hopefully this will work. 
But even our phones are designed to keep our attention and to tell us something. Let's see if I can do this real quick. All together, what, what was that? What does that represent? A ringtone. Right? How about this one? You know it. I don't even have to tell you. Some of you may have even reached for your phone just now thinking your phone went off. Mute your phone during church. It's a, it's a healthy thing. I, in fact, for me, when I get a new iPhone, I have to put some different sounds in my phone because what will happen is I'll be in a social situation at, I don't know, Sam's Club or Target and you're walking along and, and this noise goes off and you're going, you quickly take out your phone because it's I, I, it was a text. I, I thought I got a text, so I, I have to change mine. Hey, hey, listen. Just so that I I know better. It's my it's my tone, so I know the difference between your text messages and my text messages. These things are designed to get your attention, and probably in some ways nice. When you get a phone call, you probably want to know, right? You want your attention to be grabbed. When you get a text, you want to know when you get a text. So these things are designed by nature to grab our attention. The problem is, they hold our attention. You get stuck on the bubbles when you're texting somebody. You're texting, texting, texting. Your message comes out, and then you see the bubbles come up real quick. You're waiting for them to respond. Waiting, waiting. And then the bubbles go away real quick, and then they come right back, and you're waiting. You're waiting. They're designed to keep your attention. Isaiah 55, and this is why I read this, it says several times in it that we must listen to God. God is calling to us in Isaiah 55. It says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear to me. And some versions say that your soul may live. Incline your ear to me. Listen to me. God is calling our intake of our comments and suggestions and criticism, I think are, can be important. Let's be honest, I couldn't write a good college paper until my teacher taught me how to. I needed the criticism and the comments and those things to build me up and to teach me how to write well. Mathematics teachers out there, we need you to teach us how to do math right, because it's hard. We need the, the criticism and the, the, the critiques in our lives, but when our identity becomes wrapped up in that person's opinions and thoughts, when now the paper, the, the letter grade on your paper that you receive back is what you identify with as your personal value, now this is unhealthy. Now, now you've gone to a place where this person is controlling and, and telling you your worth. Uh, the Bible even says that Satan stands and accuses the brother, accuses us in front of God. He's using words. He's accusing us. And I think he could, that's his primary, I think that's his primary way of getting to us, is God comes in, we accept him, he changes our lives, and it says that we become light, and darkness and light cannot exist together, right? 
We can't, we can't, they can't be together. And so what Satan does is he accuses you. He starts to tell you things. He tells you, you're not good enough. You never can, you're never going to make it. It's too hard. It happened in my life. I didn't think I was a good pastor. You can ask Kalen. You can ask Tom. I've been really honest. When, I, when they called, when Tom called and asked me if I wanted a job here, my immediate response in my heart was, no, thank you. I'd rather go work as a barista at 4.30 a.m. to noon and just be done with it. Because I didn't believe I could do this. I didn't believe I could stand up here and speak to you guys or lead a ministry or have a difference because I believed the accusations of, of Satan on my life. I'd bought in hook, line, and sinker, so to speak. I, I don't think most of us stop to think about what we're thinking about. <coughs> to take captive our thoughts and to, to really de delight in the rich food that God has for us in his word and in our lives. And we need to stop. We need to think. Because our thoughts can run us into the ground. See, I believe Satan, we, we oftentimes say Satan made us sin or Satan did this sin in our lives. And really I don't think it's Satan did the sin. I think he just brought us to the spot where we would make the decision. <coughs> by his comments, by his lies that he's feeding us. In my life, when I was struggling and believing that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't even listening to the positive people around me that said I could do it. All I was listening to was the lies of the enemy. And so what are the right things we should be listening to? We can see a lot of places in our lives where the comment section can be to go awry. Even me, standing up here, believe me, I want to speak the right things, but I can say the wrong things sometimes. I can fail. I could say something that brings you off into a place where maybe you shouldn't be. I believe there's, there's a right comment section. And here's where it starts. Making confessions. And so, some of you immediately thought, like, confessing our sins, but there's two parts to the word confess or confession that we, we need to take in, into account. The first part of the meaning of confession is to speak the same thing. That's the first part. Then to assert, agree with, confess, declare, admit. So the first part of confession is to, agree, to say the same thing. So I'm going to list four confessions for us this morning. Four things that I believe will short-circuit the comment section of our lives and get us plugged into the right place. To stop... Focusing on the self-doubt and the negativity that run through and derail so much of our lives. To derail and to, to, to stop the negative experiences of our past overwhelming the positive experiences that God has in our future. Stopping us from comparing our backstage to other people's front stage. And getting what God wants for us. Freedom. So here they are. The first one is this. God says, I am. This would be a great time if you have a pen or taking notes. Take these down. Commit these to memory. God says, I am. This statement overpowers our li the lives of insecurity in our lives. 
showing us where our true identity is found. God says he will. This confession overpowers lies of fear. We have a, it gives us a place of peace, of refuge, and of strength in Christ. God says he has. The, this counteracts the lies of condemnation. That we are forgiven and we're redeemed. And finally, God says, I can. This confession overpowers the lies of discouragement. That Jesus promised us a greater tomorrow. These are the confessions that we need to plug into, that we need to find in our lives and in, in Scripture. I believe they're found in Scripture. As you start to look and see what God says about us. These confessions are out of Crash and Chatterbox, you may have noticed. And that book had a huge impact on me in short-circuiting the lies that I was believing. These confessions changed my life. Changed my belief about myself. I can tell you now, Tom takes meetings and he closes the door. And I don't worry. And not because Tom's a good guy, but because I have a freedom. Because no matter what's happening in that room, God says I am. That no matter what situation I'm in, no matter where I'm at in life, the failures I may have, God says he will. He will do something in my life. That when I worry about the future and, and struggle with my own decision making, that God says he has. He has defeated sin, the grave. And when I wonder if I can get up here and do what I'm doing or any other part or have another baby for a baby for the second time, when I worry about whether or not I can make it, I, I tell myself, no, God's word tells me that I can. Because God says, I can. See, I, I like this idea a lot. And hopefully this gets you, gets you in the mood to, to spend time at the altar in prayer in just a second. But there's audio sources. Right? We have, and we're plugged into something. This part, it's plugged in, and we have, we have it. We're sitting here. Ooh. We're listening to something. You're listening to something. This is plugged in somewhere. Where is it plugged in? How is it plugged in? These confessions, what I hope, and I tell you what, as I labored over this sermon, as I thought about it, I thought my own experiences of negativity and self-doubt and how, how much I struggled for so long. I thought about you guys. I thought about who would be here. What lies you're believing. What things you're going through because it's, it's, in, it's the battle in your head. And you're losing. And you're losing ground. And you believe nobody cares or that God's not listening or that it doesn't matter. And you're plugged into an audio source. You're listening to a comment section. And what God really wants us to do Take this, 
And he wants us plugged in just like this. He wants us listening to his word, worshiping him, giving him glory. If you'd stand with me this morning. Those who are willing to pray, have been asked to pray, please come forward. We're going to spend some time in worship. God wants you to plug into the right audio source. He wants you to hear his desires for you, his will for you, his plan for you. And you got to plug in. It has to start somewhere. And so this morning, no matter where you're at, no matter if it's your first time or your hundredth time or you've been here since you were born, receive prayer this morning. Receive freedom this morning. Start confessing the things that God has for you, for us. Right now. Take time to worship. This is never time, this next five minutes as we worship and as we sing songs together. You're not going to regret the time you spend listening to God. Plugging into the right audio source. Because once we're plugged into the right audio source, once we start hearing the, the truth that God has for us in his word and as we worship and as we receive prayer, Agape comes. We can choose to love ourselves. And so that's what I hope for you this morning. So we're going to spend the next few moments in worship together. Please come forward, receive something from this morning. Receive prayer this morning. Spend time. Don't worry about the time. Believe me, you're not going to regret it. Plug into the right audio source this morning. And once we do that, then we can start going out and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Father, thank you. Lord, as we worship you, Lord God, come in this place. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Lord, convict us of the things that are holding us back. Lord God, reveal your truth to us this morning. Help us to see that what you say is true, Lord God, that you say I am, you say you, you, have, you will, you say you have, and you say I can. Thank you for all that you do in your name. Amen. Let's worship together.